All right. Sometime during Joel's ministry, the land of Judah was struck by a ferocious locust plague, more intense than any experienced before. And Joel, under divine inspiration, compares that terrible locust plague to the coming tribulation period. He applied the devastation of the locust plague in his preaching with dramatic effect. I've read several books on preaching and on preachers, and I've seen the admonition in more than one volume that a preacher is supposed to study with the Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. And the idea is that a preacher ought to be up to date on current events and what's going on in the world around them, locally, nationally, and then globally. I wondered uh, who said that first, because I've read it several times, and uh, I, I looked it up, and this came from a famous theologian named Karl Barth who is known for his admonition that Christians should evaluate major news events in the light of the Bible. I like to listen to a podcast called The World View in Five Minutes, and that's what they do, and they do it well. They look at current world news events, and they look at it in light of the Bible. And the guy always quotes scripture that pertains to what he just read. In that statement the Bible in one hand, the newspaper in the other, I think should be noted well by any preacher of the Word of God, any anyone who aspires to teach the Word of God. I think it will make us more useful in the gospel ministry and more useful to God's people. You know, illustrations can be useful in a sermon for several reasons. Illustrations that make use of secular history, both past and present, can be used to get the attention of hearers. Joel says here, hear ye, hear ye. He's kind of like somebody who's out in the public and, and crying about uh, hear ye, hear ye, and, and telling people the latest news, the way it used to be done in the old days, uh, the early days of this country. Um, and he's, he's saying, you've heard of a locust plague. We're all familiar with that. We've seen that. It's something that was common in that world. Uh, in that region, and uh, he would talk later on about droughts. That's also common for that dry, arid climate, that desert region that they lived in. And he would say, you've seen something like this, but I'm going to tell you about something that you've never seen before. I'm going to use something that you have seen to explain something that you have never seen. So illustrations can be useful to get the attention of the hearers. It, it got the attention of Joel's hearers. Secondly, illustrations will make your message memorable. People will forget much of what you've said, but if you if you have a good illustration, it's well-placed, and it's well-applied, people will remember it long after they forget your sermon. And many of the things that you said in your sermon can be attached to their memory of that illustration. It, it'll also help you stimulate the imagination of those who are thinking through what you're saying. And uh, what you're saying will give them pictures in their mind to help them to think through it. As Bible college students, you should be develop you should be developing several homiletical habits, as Alfred P. Gibbs said in his book. Uh, these these habits that you have as you're going throughout your life, you, you're paying attention to what's going on around you, and one of these habits should be collecting illustrations. Are you applying yourself right now, as a Bible student, to collect illustrations, 
to catalog useful illustrations, to store them up for, for future use, you should always be looking for illustrations. Make that a habit of your daily life. If you're not doing that, why not? Start today. Say, Lord, I'm going to start today. Would you give me some wisdom as I look at the world around me and show me how I can apply that to different uh, Bible themes or different Bible passages or verses in the Bible? Now, in Joel, we see two steps to better illustrations in our preaching. The first step is this. We should use current events. Like I said in Joel chapter 1, he used a current event that was common. People would have seen several uh, locust plagues in their lives. Uh, The old men would have talked about it with one another. He used a current event. And that current event of a locust plague and of a drought. Look also in chapter 1 and verse 19. O Lord, to thee will I cry, for the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and the flame hath burned all the trees of the field. Uh, We think that he's describing the effects of a drought. Fires have happened after that. If you want to see what that looks like, every year there will be a fire in California as a result of a drought (laughs) And the, and the forest just burning, homes will be lost, businesses will be lost. It happens every year. The beasts of the field cry also unto thee, for the rivers of waters are dried up. The fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness. So he's using this current event, something that people have seen, to describe something that they have not seen yet, something that's coming in the future. So these, these events describe the devastation and the horror of coming judgment that God has pronounced upon his people. And the judgment is coming because of Israel's sin, which primarily was idolatry. Henry H. Haley, the author of the famous Bible handbook, observed this, quote, Modern books on the prophets lay great emphasis on their social message, their denunciation of political corruption, oppression, moral rottenness, in the nation. However, he says, the thing that bothered the prophets most was idolatry. And for southern Judah, the land that that Joel is preaching to, he was born there, raised there, and God sent him to minister as a preacher and as a prophet to his own people in that southern kingdom. Their sin was Baal worship. It started in the northern kingdom, the northern ten-tribe kingdom of Israel, And eventually Judah followed with Baal worship. They were unfaithful to their God. They were spiritually adulterers. And that's the main issue. That's the thing that that really set these prophets off and set them to preaching. It's surprising how much this is overlooked by modern writers, says, says Haley. And you know what? It's true. If you were to search on YouTube for the prophet Joel, like I've been doing for each of these men that I'm looking at in the Bible, you will find different videos on YouTube. Some of them will be evangelical, uh, and some of them will be Catholic. Uh, and whether it's evangelical or Catholic, you'll find uh, that, that you'll find conservative ones on the evangelical side, everything on the Catholic side, liberal and modernist. But with the Catholic videos, every time a prophet is talked about, 
you're going to find that they're going to talk about the social message, the uh, the oppression of the people, slavery, poverty, all those kind of things. And yes, those were issues, but that was not the main issue. The main problem was idolatry. And guys, that was a problem back then and is still a problem today in America, in the land where you come from. It's a problem because we have these idols of the heart. Idols such as uh, people love education. People love to be educated and, and they get puffed up in their minds and, and pr- proud of everything that they've learned and degree, degrees that they've acquired. People are uh, idolaters in this nation because of, of uh, financial attainments and people love things. People idolize animals. They love and serve the creature more than the creator. These, uh, these idols of the heart. People idolize uh, sex and pleasures. And so whether it's education, whether it's power, whether it's pleasures, these are idols where people will let something come in, in their heart and get in between them and their God. And this happens with unbelievers. This happens with Christians as well. Uh, I'll show you a, a perfect example of a Christian who is guilty of idolatry, idols in the heart. A young lady meets a man. She knows that the Bible says that we're not to be yoked unequally together with unbelievers. And mama has been telling her that her whole life. Dad's been leading the home as a Christian man, a Christian husband and father. She's heard it in church her whole life, but one day when it comes time for her to be tested to see whether or not she'll stand for the truth of the Word of God, she meets a young man, he sweeps her off her feet, and he's not a believer. And she tells tells Mama, tells Daddy, I know he's not a Christian, but I just think he's just the greatest thing ever, and, and he treats me nice, and I like him, and I think there's a future with him. And they say, you, you need to talk to the preacher, and the preacher counsels the family and says, no, the Word of God is very clear on this. Don't do this. God, God has not promised to bless this. Yes, he might get saved later on, but best thing to do is to witness to him now and to bring him to church. And if he gets saved, then you're okay. But if not, and so many times what happens is that somebody says, I know the word of God says this, but, and that but right there, that's the idol. That's the idol in the heart. So he was preaching to people who were guilty of idolatry, and he uses a current event to explain the coming judgment that, that they could expect as a result of this idolatry. But there was still time for the people to repent. Joel calls his people to a fourfold repentance in chapter 2, verse 12. It says there, Therefore also now saith the Lord, Turn ye unto me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning. And so he calls them to this fourfold repentance. Number one, to turn to God with all your heart. That means to turn away from the sin, from the idolatry to turn to God with fasting, to get serious about seeking God, with godly sorrow, to be sorry for your sins, to admit that it's wrong, and uh, finally in prayer, in prayers. You see that in verse 17, calling the priests to pray, and uh, down through that section also in chapter 1, verse 14, the prophet prays. That's the answer in 
turning God's people back. Paul gives the gospel call to repentance found in Acts chapter 26, verse 20. And he says that God commands all men everywhere to repent. Repentance was for the Old Testament people of Israel, and repentance is for the New Testament people of the church and for the world at large. This is God's message that we turn to him. And you know, Joel was courageous in the application of his preaching. He told them what he meant by what he was saying. He was courageous. He was, he was a plain talker. He didn't leave anything in his notes that God wanted him to say. He, he just put it out there and just your, your reaction, uh, that's between you and God. The consequences of what I preach here, I'll leave that with God and trust God with that. You know, Joel was writing approximately 100 to 200 years after the time of King David. Think of that. Think of what the kingdom was during the time of King David, about 1000 BC, and, and how quickly it went downhill when David's son Solomon got on the throne. And he, he married women. He multiplied wives. And he knew he wasn't supposed to do that, you see. But there was an idol in his heart. And it was this love of pleasure, love of women. And uh, he multiplied women. He multiplied horses. And these idolatrous women turned his heart against God. The wisest man in the world proved to be pretty stupid when it came to just living right. And, and the kingdom went downhill in, in just a matter of 200 years. You know, we're preaching about 200 years removed from the time of the U.S. founding fathers, George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. Look how far this country has gone downhill. We've, we've gone a long way, the wrong way, in 200 years. This country was literally founded on the Bible. It's all through our Constitution. So you have two countries founded on the Word of God, the only two who have ever uh, been able to say that, Israel in the United States, and within 200 years, completely morally bankrupt. What does that say? That says that our nature, our nature, our sin nature, is no good. We, we will always be bent towards sin. We will always go downhill morally. Uh, so he was still faithful to preach righteousness and to call people to repentance. The only solution so our moral depravity is repentance and uh, restoration through faith in Jesus Christ. So Psalm 9 verse 17 says, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God, and America is not exempt. There's coming a judgment on this nation that is every bit as devastating as a locust plague could be on the land. You know, <clears throat> that locust plague would come through just one wave after another, and they would devour everything, so much so that they would leave trees completely stripped bare of their bark, let alone their fruit. They would destroy crops. Everything that people lived on during that time would be destroyed. That would destroy, the obviously, the animals uh, who lived off of what was grown in the field. It was devastating. There are some who say that we should not use current events in our preaching. Because we want our sermons to be timeless, they say. Therefore, do not use current events because uh, 20 years, 30, 40, 50 years down the road, someone is reading your sermon and they're reading about an illustration that was contemporary to your time or current for you, but they don't 
understand it. Uh, they say, like, say, for example, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he, he didn't use a whole lot of current illustrations in his preaching, but he did use current illustrations. And so that's the argument. Don't do it because you want your messages to be timeless. My answer to this is that Joel has been called by some the anonymous prophet, because the only thing we know about Joel is really what we read in verse one. Just a few, just a few words. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. Thirteen words there. And then what we gather from his preaching is that he was born and raised in southern Judah and he preached to southern Judah. But we know very little about him. So they say he's he's anonymous. He's he's obscure. Guys, I got news. I'm looking at a bunch of people. You're practically anonymous. Your ministries will be anonymous. Your ministries will be obscure. Very few people will know that you even exist, let alone what kind of ministry that you have in this world. In this world, our lives, our ministries are pretty much inconsequential, but not in heaven and not at the judgment seat of Christ. And the most important thing for you is not to try to make a mark in this world or to have timeless messages, although you probably will have a couple. But the most important thing for you is to minister to the people that you have before you and to help them now with the issues that they face now, with realities and current events that they're facing now. They need answers. They need help. And so it's good to use those things that they see around them. Uh, The things that they're most familiar with can be the most helpful in helping them to understand the Word of God. Now, number two. We should use current events, use current events to illustrate coming events, to illustrate coming events. In Joel chapter 2 and chapter 3, he talks about a coming event, a judgment from God, a devastating desolation from the Lord. Every illustration that we use should have an application. His illustration, the locust plagues. His application, that they, they, they picture something, they symbolize something that's coming. What is coming? Babylon is coming from the east to judge God's people. But there's more. Russia, eventually, up in the tribulation. This has application in Joel chapter 2, chapter 3, to the day of the Lord. Russia is coming from the north, and chapters 2 and 3 describe an enemy not coming from the east, but an enemy coming from the north. And so it can't be fulfilled in Babylon alone. And then more than that, the UN, following the dictates of the Antichrist, Revelation chapter 16 and and chapter 19. You see, he's describing something that they've seen to tell them about something that they've never seen, to help them to understand the spiritual truth. He's got application in his preaching. Now, we don't use applications or illustrations, excuse me, simply for the sake of filling time in our preaching. You've probably heard a lot of preaching where the preacher just gets up there and tells a good story. And then he might say something like, I'm not even sure why I said that. And everybody laughs. He just wanted to tell a big story, you know, and it was it was entertaining to listen to. And sometimes we get the idea that illustrations are there just as time fillers. Um, 
And we can be entertained by telling a good story and a little bit of entertainment and preaching, in my experience, is not a bad thing, especially if you're preaching to the same people over and over again. But illustrations should not hang in midair on nothing, says Alfred P. Gibbs. Should not hang in midair on nothing. They have a definite purpose for existing. What's the purpose for the illustration that you're going to use? Why did you tell your people about it? What is the application? So Joel's illustration served a threefold purpose. It was, number one, a preview of that coming enemy invasion. Secondly, it teaches us that Satan's purpose, you see, it's got an illustrate an application to us today, guys. It's not just to Israel, because the Word of God is inspired, and it's, it's written for us in the New Testament to get something out of it. And it tells us that Satan's purpose is to destroy Israel. And uh, God's purpose is to deliver Israel, Romans chapter 11, and to destroy Satan. That's God's purpose in the day of the Lord. And the result is, the third purpose of it, is that Israel will be saved. So that all Israel will be saved. That's That's a remnant that makes it through the tribulation period that God uses to start a new world government and governed by the Jew, Jesus Christ himself being at the top. Now, in conclusion, are you using illustrations effectively in your preaching right now? We have uh, the examples of preachers in the Bible that we should use illustrations. Um Are you using them effectively in your preaching right now and in your teaching? What if we examined your last message, the last time that you went out and preached at a church, the last time that you went, ladies, and taught a Sunday school lesson to a group of children at VBS or at camp or in a Sunday school? What if we looked at your last message? Would we see a generous use of illustrations? Would we see to every illustration an application? At the end of it, look at Luke 13 quickly as we as we close. Luke 13. I want you to see our Lord and his example, since he's always the best example for anything that we ought to do in our lives and in our ministries. Luke chapter 13, and our Lord takes advantage of local current events. Local news. And he uses that in his preaching to teach them about something that is a spiritual truth, something that they have not seen yet. So, chapter 13, verse 1 there were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate mingled with their sacrifices. You see that? Galileans uh, being murdered while trying to offer sacrifices to the Lord. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye, now he's going to make an application from a current event. Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans, because they suffered such things. I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. That illustration was used to correct their thinking theologically and to apply it 
with a gospel warning that unless you repent, I don't care who you are, you'll perish just like they did. That's pretty good, huh? Here, he, he does another one. Or those 18, now, now he takes it from here. Or those 18 upon whom the tower in Siloam fell. Just some current event about a tower falling on people and killing some, he uses that. And slew them. Think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish, turn or burn. You see, Jesus was courageous in his preaching. He was a plain preacher, and he used local uh, events, current events for illustrations. Are you helping people think biblically about news and events that's happening in the world around you? You could do that with these sort of illustrations. Um, they hear about abortion mills being targeted and bombed, or they hear about people protesting outside of abortion mills being arrested, or people praying outside of an abortion mill being arrested just for a thought that they had, and it's called a hateful thought, and they're arrested in this country for that. Are you helping them think through it? Are you helping them think through the, the uh, issue of sodomy and lesbianism, think through it biblically. Um, guys, are you even aware of what's going on in the world around you? Are you reading? Are you listening to podcasts that can help you? Are you paying attention? Your people will need help to think biblically about the world around them, and they need your help to do it. Here's some resources. You could use online news like Google. You can find a lot of things in there. You have to make your own application and look at it through the lens of the Bible, of course. You could use your local newspaper if you if they do that where you come from. Uh, a great resource is the World View in Five Minutes. It's a podcast. It's short and it shows you exactly how it's done and, and can be a great source of illustrations to use. The Epic Times is a good newspaper that's, that's uh, you can get the truth from it and it's conservative, uh, but it's a large paper and it's expensive. But if you ever get a hold of a copy, it would be useful. And the Sword of the Lord, the Sword of the Lord, that newspaper always gives news. And, and, and at the close of the news clip, it'll give a biblical response to that news. And that'll help you to make biblical uh, applications to what's going on in the world around us. All right. So that is uh, that's a message on Joel, a biographical message, message. And obviously it's, it's aimed at a very select audience of Bible college students, or possibly it could be used in a seminar on training Sunday school teachers or something like that. It could be useful in that. Other than that, I don't know where else I would possibly preach that. But I'm keeping in mind my audience, who I'm preaching to this morning. And um, when we come back from our break, I'm going to hand you the outline that I just gave. And we're going to discuss that and um, try to learn something together about it. And then I have some information on illustrations. So let's take a break. Let's just take a break for um, until a quarter till. So at a quarter till, we'll resume.